Elizabeth Warren, let's just call it what it is here. The media has blatantly blacked out people like Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, she gets barely any coverage, even though, and when she does get coverage, she's called a uh, Assad apologist. Um, even though uh, during the first debate by Google searches, she was the most search candidate of anybody. I believe the second debate, she was, if not the most, one of the most search candidates uh, on Google, blackout. And when they do cover her, it's to call her an Assad apologist or a Russian stooge and, you know, all, all this stuff that we expect the corporate media to do. Whereas Elizabeth Warren, honestly, for those of you that were paying attention in 2007 and 2008, Elizabeth Warren, frankly, has gotten the Obama treatment so far, as far as uh, CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post. Uh, very adoring, very showering coverage, which right out of the gate, as, a, as a, a cynical independent journalist myself, I find suspicious. I don't know about you. I find that suspicious. Why is the corporate media showering Elizabeth Warren with attention? Then we had the story a couple weeks ago, which if you don't know, um, Elizabeth Warren has been meeting behind closed doors with a who's who of the Democratic establishment. This was from the New York Times. She's having tea, hot tea, they reported, with uh, members of the Democratic establishment all over the country. She's text messaging them. She's calling them. She's meeting in person. Some of you might say, you know, for people that are a little bit more uh, giving benefit of the doubt to people like Elizabeth Warren, well, Jordan, she's trying to win the nomination. So of course she is going to, um, of course she's going to be speaking with party leaders and trying to establish relationships and trying to have hot tea with them in order to get their political endorsement. Uh, honestly, to me, it's very evident that her political calculation might be, well, we've got a lot of candidates here. It's quite possible if I'm Elizabeth Warren, I'm thinking, I'm not going to get enough pledged delegates on the first ballot to become the nominee. Joe Biden might not get, if Joe Biden even makes it to the nomination, or, or Iowa, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Biden might not get enough pledged delegates. There's too many candidates, so we're all just going to split the vote. Uh, Bernie might not get enough pledged delegates on the first ballot. And the DNC, which everybody rejoiced when they moved superdelegates from the first ballot to the second ballot, well, frankly, if there's so many candidates and as such, Nobody could get the plurality, plurality of pledged delegates needed to win the nomination outright on the first ballot. Then, as such, the DNC rules right now, the superdelegates would be able to vote on the second ballot. So wouldn't it behoove somebody like Elizabeth Warren to basically be playing footsie with the who's who of the Democratic Party establishment? Again, New York Times reported several weeks ago, she's meeting for tea with local leaders, state leaders, national leaders, and she's text messaging with them. She is basically playing the game. Now, again, some of you might say, I don't know if my audience would say it, but some would say, oh, gee, Jordan, breaking news. She's a politician and she's meeting with political figures to try and get their endorsements, to try and establish a relationship. Well, frankly, uh, there's a difference between, to me, there's a difference between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite, but I personally would not have that much of an issue if Bernie Sanders were meeting with party leaders, if Bernie Sanders was having hot tea or whatever he has with party leaders, because Bernie Sanders' record and who Bernie Sanders is would lead me to believe Bernie Sanders doing what he has to do to pluck off some of that establishment vote. But if he were actually became the nominee, if he actually became the Democratic nominee or won the presidency, do I really think 
Bernie Sanders is going to exercise a quid pro quo with these leaders? No, I don't. I think he's doing what he has to do. I, I would think he's doing what he has to do to get elected, but I don't think Bernie Sanders is actually going to follow through with like, yes, let me have hot tea as president with the Democratic Party establishment and bend over backwards to in, endear myself to them. No. With Warren, frankly, I don't think if Elizabeth Warren is meeting with all these party leaders and having hot tea and text messages and phone calls, I think there's an implicit promise there. Hey, you be there for me now. You endorse me. You help my campaign on the ground with volunteering, organizing, phone calls, uh, reaching out to local leaders. I'll be there for you when I'm the nominee and I'll be there for you when I'm the president. That is what I think is going on when it comes to Elizabeth Warren. So if this all wasn't enough for you, Elizabeth Warren cozying up with the establishment while proclaiming to be this progressive warrior, well, apparently it just came out. She is cozying up to none other. Wait for it. Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Warren and Clinton talk behind the scenes as 2020 race intensifies. Let's also say when Bernie Sanders was asked, would he reach out to Hillary Clinton for any advice for this campaign? Uh, he didn't really, he didn't hesitate. He said no. He said no. Apparently, Elizabeth Warren, not so much. I will read a little bit of this to you. Elizabeth Warren's team doesn't want to talk about Hillary Clinton, but that doesn't mean the 2020 presidential candidate isn't talking with her party's 2016 nominee. The two women have kept a line of communication open since the Massachusetts senator decided to run for president, though only a conversation around the time Warren's launch has been previously reported. According to several people familiar with their discussions who spoke to NBC on the condition of anonymity, it's hard to know exactly how many times they've reached out to each other or precisely what they've discussed, in part because neither camp wants to reveal much or anything about their interaction and in part because they have each other's phone numbers and there are many ways for two high-powered politicians to communicate that don't involve their staffs. And uh, I'll put this link, if you want to read along, right here in the Super Chat. So, one source was aware of just one additional call between Warren and Clinton since then, but a person who is close to Clinton said the contact has been substantial enough to merit attention, describing a conversation between the two as seemingly recent because it was front of mind for her. This quote, that is clearly not gone unnoticed, and I think she really appreciates that, the person close to Clinton said. Hmm. Clinton is a fraught subject for the Democratic contenders, perhaps for none, so, for none so much as Warren, who in the shadow of Clinton's defeat is seeking to become the second woman to win the party's nod and the first woman to be elected president. As she seems to blend her movement, uh, as she seeks to blend her movement-based progressive campaign with a Democratic, Democratic long, excuse me, with a Democratic establishment long wary of her populist brand of politics, Warren has been maintaining and creating relationships with a wide array of Democratic establishment figures. I think right here is, is literally all you have to say about what Elizabeth Warren's campaign is. She is trying to, and blend is a nice phrase for it. She is trying to blend a persona as a movement-based progressive with the Democratic establishment. And when we use the term Democratic establishment, Let's remind people what that means. We're talking about the pro-capitalist neoliberal order. 
the Bill Clintons of the world, the Rahm Emanuels of the world, the Chuck Schumers of the world, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, the Barack Obamas of the world, the Hillary Clintons of the world. So we're not just talking about, you know, leaders who have been in office for many, many years. We are talking about the pro-capitalist, pro-military industrial complex, pro-money in politics, neoliberal order. So when this author for NBC has phrased it, frankly, in an appropriate way, that Elizabeth Warren is essentially trying to have her cake and eat it too. She wants to portray herself as a progressive happy warrior while also portraying herself as a capitalist down to my toes or bones and mold the two. Unfortunately, not only is that ethically and politically wrong, it's also a very bad political strategy to win a national election. Ask Hillary Clinton. So I'll read a little bit more of this for you. Very concerning if you ask me. Um, more immediately, Warren more immediately, Warren would no doubt have to win over uh, support from Clinton voters, particularly women and women of color, as she battles Bernie Sanders of Vermont, former Vice President Joe Biden, and the rest of a field that trails the top triumvirate. But Warren has made little effort, little effort to publicly highlight ties to Clinton, who is perceived by many on the left as too centrist and who is defeated in an election Clinton and her allies believe was heavily covered by President Donald Trump waging a misogynistic campaign. To the extent that the Democratic primary voters fear a repeat scenario in 2020, and to the extent that she's competing with Sanders for the vote of progressives, there may be good reason for Warren to keep her distance from Clinton publicly. At the same time, people who know and like both women say there are more similarities between them than some of their partisans would like to admit. Each is a policy powerhouse with an uncommon command of details and possesses the ability to master new material quickly with a deep intellectual curiosity. Like Clinton, Warren focused the early part of her campaign on developing a raft of policy proposals and rolling them out. So, Warren aides declined to discuss the relationship between the two women, the dates or content of their conversations, or the campaign's strategic thinking about whether to show proximity to or distance from Clinton. Clinton's spokesperson did not return a call. A couple things on this. A couple things on this. First of all, as NBC says, they do not know, they do not know how many times uh, Elizabeth Warren and Hillary Clinton have spoken. For all we know, they've spoken once or twice via phone. For all we know, they're text messaging back and forth constantly. So let's just split the middle and say they're talking semi-frequently. Now, why would Elizabeth Warren be reaching out? Let's just put it into two buckets, okay? The first bucket, why would Elizabeth Warren be reaching out to Hillary Clinton um, in general, right? If Hillary Clinton, who lost the 2016 election to an orange orangutan retail, uh, you know, garage used car salesman, if Hillary Clinton, after that, came out and said, you know what, the Democratic Party, we as progressives, even though she's not one, we have missed the boat. We have to start work talking to the Rust Belt. We need to refocus away from the, you know, trying to endear ourselves to Wall Street banks and fossil fuel executives and pharmaceutical executives and real estate developers and all of the corrupt, you know, revolving door in the United Corporations of America. Remember, this is not the United States of America. It's the United Corporations of America. If Hillary Clinton talked like that and had like a mea culpa 
after the 2016 election and said, listen, we lost. I lost. You know, if you want to say Comey had something to do with it and all that, fine. But we need to basically have a, a grand reopening. You know how some businesses have a grand reopening? And we need to have a renewal of our marriage from the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, some of the 70s with labor, with the working class. And we need to stop basically bending over uh, and basically being servants to Wall Street, Big Oil, Big Pharma, real estate and all those. I wouldn't have a problem with Elizabeth Warren talking to her in that case. If Hillary Clinton would say, listen, we need to really rethink um, the military industrial complex. Uh, we cannot have wholesale change in America if we're voting for $715 billion defense budget. Now, $738 billion defense budgets. I wouldn't have a problem if uh, Elizabeth Warren was talking to Hillary Clinton, if Hillary Clinton had learned anything from the 2016 campaign. But obviously, that ain't the case. That's not the case. Hillary Clinton has not learned a damn thing from the 2016 uh, election. What's remarkable to me about this is Elizabeth Warren is reaching out to Hillary Clinton not for like great political advice because Hillary Clinton was the most unpopular Democratic presidential candidate in history. She was, she would have been the most unpopular candidate in history between both parties if Donald Trump wasn't the most unpopular candidate. Donald Trump edged out Hillary Clinton by a little bit as far as unpopularity, unfavorables. Hillary Clinton was the most unpopular in political history. Oh, I like that. Kip Winter, the people's journalism. I'm going to steal that. Thank you. So you have Elizabeth Warren reaching out to Hillary Clinton for what? Hillary Clinton for the last three years has been basically saying Donald Trump got elected because of the uh, because of the Russian boogeyman, because of James Comey, because of sexism, because of misogyny, because of the mailman, because of the hurricanes, because of because of because of because of because of. It's always it's something entirely else. In the book Shattered, which I did not read, but uh, a journalist wrote this book Shattered, it was revealed that as soon as Hillary Clinton lost, her top campaign people were literally manufacturing the Russian boogeyman defense, an excuse, to explain why she lost. In fairness, I will say this in fairness, she did win the popular vote by, I think, three million votes. So if we had a sane political system, if we had a democratic political system, whether we like it or not, she would have become the president. I believe the Electoral College should be abolished. But we don't. And she lost in the current voting system to the most beatable presidential candidate in Donald Trump in modern American history. Any other candidate, I believe, maybe other than Joe Biden right now, could have beat Donald Trump. But Hillary Clinton lost. So just as a strategy, what possible advice could you be asking Hillary Clinton for to win the nomination or the presidency? I don't understand. Uh, uh, by the way, we're, I'm going to get into why she's really reaching out to Hillary Clinton. But if you put aside that, if you if you were just thinking political strategy and you want to give Elizabeth Warren the benefit of the doubt, well, maybe she's reaching out to her to learn to get from Hillary Clinton, you know, advice on the mistakes Hillary Clinton made and what Hillary Clinton thinks Elizabeth Warren should do. Hillary Clinton, by her own account, doesn't really think she made many mistakes. 
she acknowledges, you know, I didn't go campaign in Wisconsin. But other than that, am I missing something? Has Hillary Clinton and her campaign admitted what her mistakes was? Has she admitted that, oh boy, maybe if the Democratic Party under my husband, Bill Clinton, under Barack Obama, uh, didn't push through NAFTA that decimated the entire uh, now deindustrialized Midwest, maybe we could have had a better shot against a fake populist saying, I'm going to repeal NAFTA, and he had that trade issue very hard. Could, did Hillary Clinton ever said, well, maybe I lost the Wisconsin Democratic primary, maybe I lost the Michigan Democratic primary to Bernie Sanders, not because Bernie Sanders is like a new hot shiny toy, not because the kids love him, but because the people in the Midwest, the Rust Belt, cannot get excited about a candidate that is for, that called the TPP the gold standard of trade deals. That was the wife of Bill Clinton who pushed through NAFTA. In fairness, she was not the president. She did not sign NAFTA, but she supported it as first lady. She was a pretty active first lady. She was given a huge portfolio as first lady, including trying to enact healthcare in 1993 and 1994. So what, is, what is, I, I don't understand. If you want, you know, I'm trying to be fair here. I'm trying to be fair. I'm not trying to just destroy and demolish Elizabeth Warren. But if you wanted to even give her the benefit of the doubt, what advice could you possibly get from Hillary Clinton? So that, why I brought that up is obviously she's not reaching out to Hillary Clinton for political advice because you're not going to get any political advice from Hillary Clinton or the, or the buffoons that ran her campaign who were said, oh, we don't need to go to Wisconsin. Let's go to Arizona. We're, we're going to win Arizona, a Republican state. Hey, let's just pull our volunteers out of Michigan. We don't need to have volunteers in Michigan. I only lost the Democratic primary there to Bernie Sanders, but we will beat Trump. We don't need to have volunteers there. Hey, let's get on African-American radio a week before the general election. Did you, did you know that? Hillary Clinton's campaign got on African-American African radio in the Midwest states like a week before. Eh. So yeah, that's the person I want to call and text message. In fairness, I don't know how many times they've spoken. That article doesn't tell us how many times they've spoken. But I would assume if they have each other's numbers, they've spoken a few times. Okay. So now that we've established, obviously Elizabeth Warren is not reaching out to Hillary Clinton for actual political advice. If she was, she'd be an idiot. Uh, we also have to establish this is not the first time. And my main problem with Elizabeth Warren, and this is what I argued when I was with the Young Turks, my former colleague there, Emma Vigeland, was a proponent of Elizabeth Warren. I said to Emma at the time, and I still say it now, yes, Elizabeth Warren, uh, by, her, by, by her plans and by uh, the way she talks, is fairly progressive, um, by the way she talks. But I'm not just voting for somebody based on what they write down on paper and their words. I'm voting for someone based on their character. I'm voting for someone based on their record. I'm voting for someone based on what they have done and the, and the calculations they make and whether I could trust that person. I, there is a history of Elizabeth Warren making political trade-offs instead of having integrity politically. If you remember, if you remember, and I'll probably get demonetized if I haven't already been demonetized from YouTube for even mentioning, oh, WikiLeaks, these Russian stooges. But if you remember, um, Elizabeth Warren, you know, there's a reason she didn't endorse Bernie Sanders in 2016, because she was playing footsie with Hillary Clinton's campaign as early as 2015 and 2016. This is an email from 
January 1st, 2015, that came out in the WikiLeaks Podesta leaks, as followed up as a follow-up to Hillary Clinton's meeting with Warren. I spent about an hour and 20 minutes this afternoon with Dan Geldon, a longtime advisor to the senator. He was intently focused on personnel issues laid out. Oh, by the way, this email was written by somebody in Hillary Clinton's campaign and uh, was written to uh, Uma Abedin, Robbie Mook, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's chairman. So this was written by somebody in the Hillary Clinton campaign that met with one of Hill- uh, Elizabeth Warren's top uh, advisors. I spent about an hour and 20 minutes this afternoon with Dan Geldon, a longtime advisor to the senator. He was intently focused on personal issues, laid out a detailed case against the Bob Rubin School of Democratic Policymakers, was very critical of the Obama administration's choices, and explained at length the opposition to Antonio Weiss. We then carefully went through a list of people they do like, which Elizabeth Warren sent over to Hillary Clinton earlier. We have already been in touch with a number of them, and I asked if he would be comfortable introducing me to the others to which he seemed reasonably amenable. We spent less time on specific policies because he seemed less interested in that. Although he did, although he did express some flexibility on Glass-Steagall, said too big to fail is the bigger issue and was open to our ideas on addressing through the tax code, assuming it actually works. He spoke repeatedly about the need to have in place people with ambition and urgency who recognize how much the middle class is hurting and are willing to challenge the financial industry. Starting with her speech at the AFL this week, Warren will be pushing back against the president's message that the economy is getting better and urging us not to get distracted by metrics like GDP and unemployment when so much else remains wrong. Overall, it was a polite and engaged but not exactly warm conversation. They seem wary and pretty convinced that the Rubin folks have the inside track with us whether we realize it yet or not, but open to engagement and to be proven wrong. He mentioned that everyone will be watching carefully any leaks about who HRC is meeting and talking to. So again, this was January 15th, excuse me, January 6th, 2015. Now, now, in fairness, in fairness, because I want to be fair, uh, a lot of what supposedly was said in that meeting between Elizabeth Warren's top advisor and somebody in Hillary Clinton's campaign was fairly decent from the progressive side. So for example, whoever met with Hillary Clinton's people from the progressive side was saying, uh, no, you can't have Bob Rubin, who was Bill Clinton's Treasury Secretary, former C, I think he was former bigwig at Goldman Sachs. You cannot litter, if you're gonna run for president, which obviously Elizabeth Warren knew, Hillary Clinton was running for president at that point. If you're gonna be running for president, if you're going to, uh, presumably win, uh, we can't have another Obama administration that just laces the place with former Goldman Sachs bankers. So on that end, to her credit, Warren's people were telling Hillary Clinton's people, uh, you need to actually have some people that are not, uh, you know, creatures and, and snails from Goldman, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo and such. But that's where my, ch- that's where my benefit of the doubt ends. Because why is Elizabeth Warren's people meeting with Hillary Clinton's people in January 2015? Why? Well, there's several reasons. Number one, Elizabeth Warren and most of Washington, I would assume, including Bernie Sanders, knew Hillary Clinton was running for president again and was going to announce, uh, I think she announced in April of 2015. Secondly, 
why are you giving Hillary Clinton's people a list of names that should be in her administration in January 2015? Did Elizabeth Warren's people just anoint like everybody else, anoint Hillary Clinton, the Democratic nominee, and just assume she was going to be the president? Does Elizabeth Warren's people just say, well, nobody else is going to run. And even if somebody else ran, maybe Bernie Sanders, well, you know, we're, you know, we're going with the horse we think is going to win, not with the horse we actually agree with politically, not with the horse, whether it's Bernie or another progressive that actually could implement real change, the kind of change that we're sitting here having meetings with Hillary Clinton's people who we know are going to lace the place with the Bob Rubens of the world, the, the, the Gene Sterlings of the world, the, um, um, who was the, uh, Obama's treasury secretary? Why am I blanking? Not Henry Paulson. Um, I forgot. They knew Hillary Clinton's people were going to lace the place with bankers, with the neoliberal order. So you're sitting there giving them names and suggestions when you know for you know for sure that this is not who Hillary Clinton is. You know for sure that the only way she's going to become president is if she if she takes all the money from the the um, um, Goldmans of the world and the big banks and all this. So you're sitting here having meetings, basically not actually based on political integrity, not actually waiting until you see are there any progressives that are going to want uh, run, not actually saying to yourself, if I'm Elizabeth Warren, you know what? To hell with the glass ceiling and she's the anointed one, I'm gonna run. Because frankly, I think Elizabeth Warren could have had a shot in 2016 if she ran. It was a political calculation that I am going to try and influence who I believe is automatically gonna become the Democratic nominee, and I'm gonna try to influence her administration instead of an actual way you could influence progressive change by either running yourself or supporting a actual progressive candidate against Elizabeth, against Hillary Clinton. So this is the problem with Elizabeth Warren. She was playing footsie. Her people were playing footsie with Tim Geithner. Thank you very much. I blanked out for a second. Her people were playing footsie and political games and political strategy with Hillary Clinton's people before Hillary Clinton even announced she was running for president before Bernie Sanders announced he was running for president. And some, you know, I remember when I was at the Young Turks, I had a debate uh, with my former colleague, Emma, who said, oh my God, what a sin. She's a politician and she was playing politics. I don't think being a politician is a sin. I don't think once you're in office in a specific position, you know what, frankly, we're a little naive. If Bernie Sanders becomes president, he, he's not gonna be able to go in there with a hot torch and just get everything he wants, he'll have to make deals from time to time. The difference is, yes, you have to make deals. Yes, you have to compromise sometimes. Yes, you have to build alliances. We don't have a parliamentary system, unfortunately. I think we should. But the problem here is, are you willing to sacrifice your principles right out of the gate? Are you willing to basically bend over backwards and work with the very people that are hostile to your progressive ideas right out of the gate? Are you willing basically to sell your political soul right out of the gate? Elizabeth Warren has shown time and time again, not only is she willing to do that, she will do that. That is why she is going all over the country, this from the New York Times, all over the country having hot tea with members of the Democratic Party establishment, 
This is why she is signaling, I am a capitalist down to my bones. She's not saying it, folks. She's not saying it to, because she loves capitalism so much. Why Elizabeth Warren is saying it, and frankly, give her credit, it's a very smart strategy. It's a cynical strategy. She's giving a wink and a nod to CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Associated Press, the Daily Beast, BuzzFeed, all of them, and saying, yes, 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 I am progressive. I want to change things, but like, I'm not gonna give you that much trouble, guys. You know, give me good coverage. Give me good coverage. You know, if you're in, in the case of CNN, status quo broke this story at the Detroit debate. Uh, you know, basically, if you prominently show my supporters waving their signs for 10, for 10 to 20 seconds and you make it seem like I have all the mojo and then you block Bernie Sanders supporters from even getting into the area where they hold up signs, if you prop me up, if you give me hour after hour after hour of free, positive, adoring coverage, I'll remember you later. This is what is happening, folks. And frankly, for those who claim to be progressive, who, who say otherwise and say this is not happening, and Elizabeth Warren is that progressive warrior, and, you know, yeah, she might be talking to establishment leaders and whatnot, but that doesn't mean she wouldn't be a good president. Um, I think you're naive. I think you're intentionally obtuse. And, yeah, that's what I think. I am not telling you who to vote for, okay? You vote for whoever you want. But I want to be honest with you folks. And some of you don't like this and say, Jordan, why bring this up? I'm just telling you, me, I don't think Elizabeth Warren is going to win the nomination. And I can give you a lot of reasons for that. But I don't think Elizabeth Warren is as neoliberal as Hillary Clinton. I don't think she's as bad as Joe Biden. So I want to put that out there. I don't think she is as bad as the people we're talking about here. But that doesn't mean we ignore what she's doing. That doesn't mean we could just be blind and pretend this is all okay. That doesn't mean that as a journalist or as an activist or as whomever, you say like, oh, well, you know, she writes good plans and, you know, she sounds folksy in speeches and this and that. I mean, the bottom line is she is doing things that are major red flags if you are an actual progressive. The problem with politics, the reason Donald Trump was able to rise so quickly Yes, it was all the adoring coverage, the free coverage he got, what, two, three billion dollars worth in free commercials and, and free airtime. But the, the reason Donald Trump rose is people fundamentally don't trust the BS people like Hillary Clinton were selling. And if you can't trust Hillary, Elizabeth Warren's motives, I don't care how many plans she has. I don't care how well detailed they are. I don't care if she has a plan for everything like how to appropriately roll out of bed without hurting your back. I don't care what her plans are if I don't believe that she's going to actually fight for the things she's saying. And how are you going to actually fight and win for the things you are claiming to be for if you're playing footsie with every with the Democratic Party establishment and now playing footsie with Hillary Clinton? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? And again, I, I, I want to make something very clear. I'm not saying even Bernie Sanders, like, I'm not saying just go in with like a flamethrower, never be willing to talk to anyone that you disagree with, never be willing to compromise with anything. That's not how politics works. And that's just not how life works. If you're in a relationship, a marriage, a friendship, whatever, you got to compromise on some things. But there's a difference between compromising to get actual things, actual change done. And there's a difference between compromising your values 
and making these mini rationalizations in your own head. This is what I think when Elizabeth Warren, I think she told uh, the Young Turks in an interview a while ago, well, I'm not going to unilaterally disarm. You know, I won't take money from the banks and the corporations and all the blood-sucking plutocrats. I won't take their money in the primary. But if I become the nominee, uh, you know, I can't unilaterally disarm here. No, sorry. If you're willing to make that rationalization in the general, where does it end? Aren't you going to make rationalizations if you were elected president? Well, you know, this deal that McConnell is proposing or Nancy Pelosi is proposing, you know, it's pretty much crumbs for the people that I said I was going to fought for. It's pretty much same old, same old. But they say if I give them this deal, they'll be more open next time to something more progressive. Please. Please. This is what Obama, this is how Obama, his delusions. And this is why what I like, and, and I'm open, I'm a supporter of Bernie Sanders, you all know this, I don't pretend to be otherwise. But this is why I like Bernie Sanders' attitude. If you remember, he did a town hall with that total D-bag, Chris Matthews from MSNBC in 2016. And Chris Matthews said, oh, how are you going to, how are you going to get any of these things done with Mitch McConnell and this and that? And Bernie Sanders said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow your roll, Chris Matthews and MSNBC. I'm not gonna, I'm not walking in to the White House as president and the first thing I'm gonna do is compromise with Mitch McConnell. Why would I do the same exact thing that Democrats have been doing since the 70s? No, 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 no. I'm gonna go to Mitch McConnell, I'm gonna say, hey Mitch, look outside the window at my army. Look outside the window of all these people that if you don't start doing what the working people of America are demanding, you're is going to get thrown out of office. My former friends at the Young Turks uh, are a little bit more, shall we say, um, positive about Elizabeth Warren. Um, I think you could do two things at once. I think you could say, I'm, I'm telling you, you might not like it, but this is what I believe. And if you don't like it, too bad. Um, I don't think she's as bad as Hillary Clinton. I don't think she's as bad as Joe Biden. I don't think she's as bad as Kamala Harris. I don't think she's as bad as Pete Buttigieg. Certainly don't think she's anywhere near Donald Trump. However, that doesn't mean that we just close our eyes and give her positive coverage. It's not my job to elect Elizabeth Warren, and I'm not going to go easy on her. So to me, this is a major red flag. I don't want to hear somebody claiming to be progressive. I don't want to hear somebody. She's sitting here all over the country talking about corruption, corruption, corruption. You're sitting here having text messages, phone calls, whatever, with Hillary Clinton, one of the most corrupt, uh, forget Democrats, politicians of all time. Like... You're either consistent or you're a hypocrite. You're either consistent or you're fraud. You either have principles or you don't. That's the bottom line. And one more thing, one more thing on Warren. Um, and I'm gonna play the clip. Uh, this was, um, I don't, oh, this was this weekend. Yeah, this was this weekend. Here's um, my former colleague, Emma Viglin. Uh, asked Elizabeth Warren a question, I believe, at the New Hampshire Democratic Convention uh, on, you know, you, you, ha you claim all these progressive domestic policies, but how does that square up with the fact that you voted for a massive, massive uh, military budget? You uh, have focused a lot on progressive domestic policy. You also voted for a military budget increase in 2017. How does that square with your progressive politics when we're talking about foreign policy? If the question is, do I think we should cut the military budget, the answer is yes. And I'm now on the Senate Armed Services Committee. I've had this fight over and over. But there's another part to it, too. We need to stop 
the control over our defense budget that's exercised by the giant defense industry. Um, as you know, we now have a Secretary of Defense who spent seven years as head lobbyist for Raytheon. Um, I asked for some simple conflict of interest rules that he would abide by. For example, not to make decisions that involve Raytheon and Raytheon's bottom line. And he refused. Um, the Republicans confirmed him anyway. But this is what corruption is all about. Putting lobbyists in charge of our government agencies, a lobbyist, former lobbyist in charge of the Environmental Protection Agency. This is the heart of corruption. And the moment has come to call it out and to fight back. Um, I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. It was a good question. I don't, I wasn't there, so I don't know, like, if there was no opportunity to um, follow up or challenge her. I, I wasn't there, so I can't comment. If I were there and I, I would have followed up, well, that wasn't the question. I asked you, if you're a progressive uh, and you're claiming all these progressive uh, policies, how do you really square that up with the fact that you're voting for a massive, she voted for a $715 billion defense budget last year. In fairness to her, uh, this year, when they voted for a $738 billion defense budget, she wasn't there, Bernie wasn't there. I, I don't think any of the major candidates were there because they just had the debate the night before. So she wasn't there. I don't know how she would have voted. Somebody should ask her. But Emma asked her, uh, how do you, basically, how could you be claiming all these progressive domestic policies, but also be for a massive, massive, totally, in my view, immoral uh, military budget? How do those two things square? And she said, well, if the question is, do I believe we should cut the military budget? No, that wasn't the question. And then she just went off into a tangent. This is what, frankly, corporate establishment Democrats do. When challenged on their own record, they just pivot to Trump is the Antichrist. Is everything she said true about Trump? Absolutely. Is Trump corrupt? Does he have a defense secretary that I believe worked for Lockheed Martin or something like that? Yes. I mean, this is all true. but. That's a total dodge of the question, probably because how else is she going to answer it? It doesn't square up. Like, I believe in modern monetary theory, so I think we have enough money for all of it. But under the current system, how these things work, Elizabeth Warren or anyone is not going to get the majority of her proposals through of domestic policy if she's given away $738 billion to the military, which not only should it be cut, it should be cut in half. I think it could be cut more than half and we'd be very, very safe. Let's call it what it is. War is a racket. War is a racket. War is a racket. Just show you some new polls out today. Some new polls out today that I think are illuminating. This from the ABC Washington Post poll. Uh, the screen is Real Clear Politics. You have Biden at 29, Bernie at 19, Warren at 18. I, I, I don't understand why they write it in a way that, like, if Bernie is at 19, why do they have Warren in the middle? It's like these corporate outlets that keep putting Warren under Biden, even though Bernie's doing better. So this is the national uh, poll. Bernie in second again, Warren at 18. Uh, that is similar to a lot of other polls we've seen with Warren either tied with Bernie or a few points behind and Biden still uh, at 30 or 29 percent. Then you got Iowa. CBS, Biden at 29, Sanders at 26. Uh, that's pretty 
It's the highest uh, Bernie has been in quite some time in Iowa, which is interesting considering you keep hearing from the media that Elizabeth Warren has built the biggest, most, the biggest infrastructure and she has the most staffers in Iowa and she is, she has the best well-oiled machine in Iowa of any candidate. Well, she's at 17 in this poll, Bernie at 26, Biden at 29. To me, uh, if, if it were up to me for Bernie Sanders campaign, and you could say to me, pick, pick whichever one you want. You, you could, you, you, we'll give you one, Iowa or New Hampshire. If I were Bernie Sanders' campaign, I would 100% sign up for Iowa because I think Bernie, to kind of neutralize the uh, media narrative and the BS about, oh, Bernie's lost his mojo, this and that. Can you imagine the corporate military media industrial complex meltdown if Bernie Sanders won Iowa? Oh my God, they'd have a heart attack. And not only if Bernie Sanders won Iowa, he's going to have possibly record number of donations coming in after that to help his campaign. You're going to have even more volunteers signing up. So even if he narrowly lost New Hampshire after that, even if he lost South Carolina, if he wins Iowa, it's big. It also sets him up, frankly, for Nevada pretty well, which according to the CBS YouGov poll, uh, Bernie is also leading in Nevada. Bernie, 29 in Nevada. Biden, 27 in Nevada. Warren, 18 in Nevada. Key thing about Nevada, uh, Nevada, which uh, our reporter Marcus Ely, who if you uh, saw did a great um, report from a gun show that he got kicked out of earlier this week, we'll play some of that a little bit later. Uh, Nevada has a lot of Latino and Latina voters and uh, Bernie did very, very well among Latino voters in 2016 and he's doing very, very well now among Latino voters. So uh, the fact that Bernie is currently leading in Nevada uh, in this late, recent poll does not surprise me at all. And I think Bernie Sanders could possibly win in Nevada. So the media, of course, are not going to report these polls because they're favorable to Bernie Sanders. The media is going to report any poll that is favorable to Elizabeth Warren, but these polls are good. For Bernie Sanders. You also have uh, in South Carolina, this also doesn't surprise, you got Biden up 25 points. Frankly, if Joe Biden remains in the race, which to tell you the truth, I don't think is a definite thing. Um, I don't have any inside information, but frankly, status quo has covered it probably more than anyone else. Uh, I don't think Joe Biden is well cognitively. I, I think it's irresponsible at this point for the rest of the corporate media. Um, for the rest of the corporate media to keep pretending that these are gaffes, why he's stuttering through words, can't remember President Obama's name, can't remember cities that just had mass shootings, uh, can't remember when JFK and MLK were assassinated. Uh, when he's speaking, it's painful to watch. He's either stuttering or has delays or forgets things or preemptively says, oh, my time is up. Uh, he's not cognitively well. And I think if he continues campaigning, um, it could potentially get worse. And there's a possibility that if it gets so bad that it's even the corporate media can't ignore it and have to start covering what's going on with this guy, that the Democratic Party might say iceberg right ahead, uh, which brings me to iceberg right ahead, and they will totally galvanize around Elizabeth Warren if that's the case. So iceberg right ahead. Thank you, Colin, for that wonderful graphic. Um, but I think if Biden remains in the race, listen, I'm just going to keep it real. Biden's going to win South Carolina. Right or wrong, uh, I'm not going to white-splain and explain why uh, I think black voters are wrong to vote for Joe Biden. But, you know, you know what? To be fair, to be fair, 
we shouldn't really isolate black voters from white voters. Older voters, period, are supporting Joe Biden, just like they supported Hillary Clinton. So it's not a surprise that in South Carolina, older black people, black people make, 60, make up 60 percent of uh, the South Carolina population. So it's not a surprise that uh, older African-Americans are bringing Joe Biden to the promised land electorally in South Carolina. So that's why he's basically kicking everybody else's ass in that poll. I don't expect Bernie Sanders to win South Carolina. I'm sorry to say. I mean, I'm just being honest. Uh, but, you know, it's possible he could come in a second. I think if Joe, I think if Bernie Sanders comes in second in South Carolina, that's pretty impressive. I mean, he got destroyed in South Carolina in 2016. Uh, part of that was they don't, they didn't know who he was. And I think you're going to see a change in that now that he's had three years to make inroads there. But when you look at this poll, another thing that I find striking, not only is Bernie in second place nationally in this poll, not as, not only is Bernie in a strong second, only three points behind Biden in Iowa. Uh, and Warren in a distant third place. Not only is Bernie uh, in second place in uh, uh, New Hampshire, oh, excuse me, third place, but it's basically a tie. You're looking at New Hampshire, you have Warren at 27, Biden at 26, Bernie at 25. So, I mean, that's like, you're talking within, Bernie's behind two. So I would say it's very up in the air in New Hampshire, Bernie up in New Nevada, which I told you is significant. Elizabeth Warren's not even leading in Massachusetts. I think that's very troublesome, to tell you the truth. And this goes, many weeks ago, I reported that Elizabeth Warren's popularity in Massachusetts isn't what you would expect. Overall, she has higher favorability ratings than uh, disapproval, but not by much. So the fact that Joe Biden is 26%, Warren 24%, Sanders 8%, telling. Uh, I'm a little surprised, frankly, that Bernie's so low in uh, that Massachusetts poll. That's from the Boston Globe, Suffolk University. But Elizabeth Warren behind Joe Biden in, in her own home state, uh, I don't know, strikes me as a little uh, nuts. I wouldn't, feel I wouldn't feel so strong if I was Elizabeth Warren's campaign if you can't even say you're definitely going to win your home state. Um, and, you know, this is totally anecdotal, don't get me wrong. But my aunt and uncle live in Massachusetts, and I know my aunt has told me in the past, like, yeah, Warren, you know, my aunt likes Warren. I think she's more of a Bernie person. I'd have to ask her who she's voting for. But she said, yeah, like, there's some things, you know, Warren doesn't really come back to Massachusetts that often, uh, and people don't think she's doing much for Massachusetts. So I can only tell you what I've been told.